Welcome to episode 103 of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. This is a first. I'm attending two national conferences this month. I don't think I've ever gone to two major events in one month, and it's taken a bit of planning to be sure I make the most of these opportunities. Months ago, I bought a ticket, booked a flight, and arranged my hotel stay. So logistically, I knew I would arrive, but arriving and being present is not the same thing. This is my fourth time attending the National Speakers Association Influence Convention, and the first time I'm attending Podcast Movement. Planning as a first-timer is very different from when you're a regular. Year one and two, you're still trying to figure out whether this event is a good fit and whether you should continue to invest money, time, and effort to attend. By year three, you've committed to participating and starting to feel like you've made some good connections, people you're looking forward to seeing again each year. By year four and five, the event becomes more of a reunion because you know you're going to see lots of familiar faces and will be able to plan some fun side events with a few of them. After year five, it's likely you're planning your calendar around when this event is scheduled because you wouldn't want to miss it. What does this mean for me? Weeks in advance, I made plans to host two dinners during the Influence Convention and also have plans to meet members of my local chapter for drinks. Weeks in advance of the other event, which I've never attended, I started to engage more and more frequently in their Facebook group. With some effort, I'm expecting to pull together a few people I know for drinks or dinner. And I've researched the speakers and started to send them notes ahead of the event. There is a lot more I'm doing to be prepared for these events and make sure I'm making the most of these opportunities. Your challenge for this week, it's likely you have a conference on the horizon, right? If you haven't yet, read my best-selling business book, Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. Order it through croissantsvsbagels.com and you'll receive the special bonus bundle. Want just the highlights? Download my 10 tips for conference connections at robbysamuels.com forward slash tips. Check these resources out and let me know what resonated with you. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest has many different titles and roles, which include speaker, podcast host, software developer, engineer, developer, strategist, startup advisor, and entrepreneur. He is the co-founder and CEO of Contactually, the top CRM that empowers professionals in real estate, consulting, and other professional industries to build authentic relationships. He has led Contactually to $12 million in venture backing, 75 employees, and tens of thousands of customers, including eight of the top 20 real estate brokerages in the country. Named a finalist for Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year, he hosts the Real Relationships Podcast and has interviewed hundreds of leaders on how they build relationships that move their businesses and careers to higher levels. Please join me in welcoming Zvi Band. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, like your other introductions, um, you make me sound so much more impressive than I actually am. <laughs> but uh, thanks for, you know, fluffing me up earlier. Now I know I feel like I actually deserve to be on this show. You deserve to be on this show, Zvi. Thank you so much for joining me from your office in Washington, D.C. I am thrilled to have you on here. Anyone who has listened to this show knows that early on and sort of relentlessly, I talked about Contactually 
to the point where people were like, how did you get a sponsorship from Consactually? Because it came up all the time. And I was interviewing Jordan Harbinger just the other day and it came up again. He was the one suggesting it. So I've had guests talking about Contactually as their favorite CRM. I was talking about it for years. So it's a real thrill to have you on here. And as you know, this is a show about networking, but networking sort of in a vacuum doesn't make a lot of sense. So I want to have the context be leadership. And so we're going to start off with a question that you probably don't get asked all the time, but it you know, gets you thinking a little bit. What does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Yeah, I mean, so for me, I believe uh, leadership is establishing a culture of expectations that exists mainly when you're not involved, right? So for me, the, the test of leadership is what happens when people are, what happens you know, with my team when I'm not around? Like if I'm on the road, you know, do I have full confidence that they're going to be executing um, in such a way that like, you know, if I were there, I would be doing the same thing too. Um, that's what I, that's why I believe leadership is. Um, honestly, like I'm not a leader I, I, or at least I, I, I'm definitely not a natural born leader nor ever had the aspirations to lead. You know, I'm very much, you know, I'm very introverted. Um, didn't necessarily kind of say, Hey, my, my goal is to climb the corporate ranks and kind of build a team or anything like that. Um, I think for me, it's, I just, have happened into circumstances where teams have formed under me. Um, I think, you know, I realized I had the skills to lead. Honestly, it was really like, you know, and it wasn't my first leadership gig, um, of course, but you know, it was a few years into Contactually after I had already led and built multiple teams in different, um, in different uh, organizations. Um, a few years into Contactually when finally it was kind of a survey went out or I hired a coach and, you know, through that survey of peers you know, at the company, they kind of said, hey, Svi, you're a really great leader. And I never like use the term leader for myself, but you know, having the team validate that like they saw me as their leader and an effective one, to me, that's, that was the only time when I felt validated that, oh, okay, maybe I guess I do have the skills to lead. Well, I want to go back to what you said earlier. You just said so many good things we're going to unpack a little bit. So this idea of um, leading is that people will live up to a certain expectation when you're not in the room. Yep. I've been doing the show for a long time. I've never quite heard it said that way. And I really like it because it means that they're bought in to the mission and they're going to live up to their own potential in order to fulfill that mission. They get it. And- yeah, at the same time, you've also like established, you know, enough of the cultural norms, or uh, you know, one of the one of the books that I fe- have found really helpful early on is um, Bill Walsh's uh, "The Score Takes Care of Itself," where there's this you know, talk about creating this culture of excellence. And I'm not necessarily sure we have a culture of excellence, but we have like a culture, right? And mm-hmm. we've established like what we believe are the appropriate things to do. Yeah, and I think that's really powerful. So you know, now we're at the point where um, I'm, I'm more working on the organization than in the organization, mm-hmm. um, which yeah, I know is a commonly used phrase, but it's true. So I'm out of the office more than I'm in the office. And that has led me to, um, you know, gain that trust in the team that like, it doesn't matter if I'm here or not, they're going to be acting in such a way. And the teams are going to be operating in such a way 
that I feel comfortable with that. Not that I feel comfortable, like meaning I agree with everything they're doing, but I believe I've done my best to establish and put them on the right path. That's really cool. And also a real testament to your leadership skills, which which you just espoused you didn't have and that you were earning along the way. And you also touched on the idea of um, part of you didn't, you didn't think of yourself as a leader because you're an introvert. And so I'm curious, back in the day, you know, grade school, high school, college, did you have any formal or informal leadership roles? Or were you kind of like on the sidelines watching everything? Did anyone you know, see that in you and try to push you in that direction, whether you went for it or not? Like, what were those early days like? No, no, no. I mean, the only kind of artifact that might have been, uh, you know, have that might have you know, manifested itself as some aspect of leadership is like, you know, class projects. You know, I was the one that ended up kind of like making sure that the project actually got done. Wouldn't necessarily do it all myself per se. You know, I wasn't a sucker like that. But, you know, I, um, you know, I would kind of help facilitate and be the one responsible. Um, but no, I, it's not like, you know, anyone pointed and say, yeah, that guy's going to be a leader or anything like that. Um, I would say the only time I ever saw any kind of a you know, real leadership skills come out for me is, um, you know, um, being part of a fraternity in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do believe, you know, while Greek organizations definitely have their challenges, um, it is an amazing way to kind of, you know, to cultivate leadership skills that you otherwise wouldn't have through experiences that you otherwise wouldn't have outside of the Greek system. Um, and so to me, that was really formative. But no, it was honestly like, uh, you know, the first time I could say I really like led a team, for example, was, um, you know, my first job out of college where I was thrown into a software development squad and all of a sudden, like everyone above me quit um, or were fired. And all of a sudden I was left running the team. I'm like, oh, well, guess I have nothing else, no, you know, no other thing to do than to, you know, than to run this. Mm-hmm. And I kind of saw it through there. So it was really just through experiences I was thrown into. I was never asked to do it, nor have I ever aspired to do it. Was there somebody uh, in that, in that, um, in the fraternity or elsewhere that really, you, you really enjoyed the way they led and you were like, yes, that makes sense. I, I one day hope to do something like that. No. And I mean, I think one of my personal challenges is I've never, I know ne- I've, I've never been one to has been able to connect well with mentors or advisors mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah, of course, you know, there are like the business or professional rock stars out there that everyone looks up to, but I've never found myself kind of, you know, hooking on to anyone else and saying, yeah, that's, that's who I want to be. I want to kind of draft behind this person. Um, so no, I think it's honestly more, um, you know, diamonds are formed under incredible pressure <laughs> and I believe I'm a, um, victim and product of that, you know, just yeah. being, you know, of being thrown into situations where sink or swim. And most of the time I've been able to swim. So I want to talk a little bit about what it is you're doing today, but rather than hearing your usual pitch, I want to know what you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today. Um, I'm going to answer that in two ways. One is internal to the company. One is external. Um, external to the company. I mean, to me, the thing that's most impactful is, um, I saw so early on in my career that my relationships, who I knew and who knew me, was the most important asset I had. And when I started Contactually, of course, you know, most startups, you know, have a high failure rate, mainly because they don't build anything that, you know, someone finds valuable. And so for me, what I'm so thankful for is um, 
you know, having now tens of thousands of customers around the world who were solving this core need and they're telling us and they like it. And even when they're sending really angry feedback, <laughs> it's not that they don't like the product. It's because they love the product. They love the idea behind what we're doing. And they're just so frustrated because it just, it goes 99% of the mm. way and they want that other 1%. And to me, I'm so inspired by that, that we've really made, you know, millions and millions and millions for professionals out there. So I'm incredibly thankful for that. Um, internal related to our previous question. Um, you know, uh, we're at the point in the company where, um, I'm very much removed from a lot of like the day to day or minutia of what's happening in the company. Right. You know, I built the first product. Um, I'm no longer involved in building the product. Right. Um, you know, I brought on our first customers. I'm no longer involved in a lot of our customer acquisition efforts. Um, and so for me, the thrilling thing is, you know, I can look out, um, you know, from my desk and see, you know, any meeting of employees, um, what's happening, what someone's working on a desk, someone on a phone call. And I'm like, I have no idea what they're doing. I'm not even sure necessarily what their goals are this quarter, but I can connect the dots and it's because of something that I wrote down in Evernote back in May of 2011. And to me, the thing I'm most thrilled that this kind of this, almost this mini legacy that's already been built that, you know, started with, with this little spark at late one night. Yeah. That little spark I find so interesting because you also, again, with the, the background of you being an introvert and you know, you're, you're a tech kind of guy and a lot of people in your industry don't value the soft skills the way you seem to. I mean, I, I've had the opportunity to be brought into these teams and while there's like a, yeah, I should be better at this. There's not usually a high priority placed on learning. And, and of course, then if they're put into any kind of role, you know, an evangelist role or a sales role, they're like, ah, you know, (laughs) I don't, you know, I don't do this thing, you know, and and so you understood the importance early on, and you were able to translate it into a tool that we're all able to use. Describe a little bit about how you sort of saw this as a problem that you needed to solve, and and how come yeah, you're absolutely. that person? Like, yeah, and again, it's not, it's never that. Like, I woke up one morning and said, "Hey, I think relationships are, and you know, building building a sphere of influence, and." You know, and being you know, and and having great reputation—that's going to be my meal ticket. I never, I never woke up that morning and saw that. It was again through happenstance. You know, I went from um, working in a cubicle at a software development firm uh, for government contractor. You know, where literally, like I remember, you know, when I, I was first joining the company, you know, they had networking events for new employees, and I'm like, I staying held the heck away from that. That is not my world, right? You know, I do not network. I code, you know, <laughs> other I code for the people who network. Yeah. But I saw, you know, I, I had this interest in startups, you know, just kind of more fascination. And through that, you know, started trying to just learn more. I got a little bit involved in the community and I didn't know how to build relationships or network. Um, but I did know how to make friends, you know, so I went into, you know, I would go into rooms, you know, networking events and things like that. I make a couple friends here and there and I see them again and I'd make a couple more, make a couple more. And through that, um, amazing opportunities kept happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the day I left my job, I was offered to be CTO of a enterprise software company um, because I knew the right people. 
and the right people knew me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when that company was acquired, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I just kind of started telling my friends, hey, I think I'm going to consult, um, you know, just do software development projects. And very soon I was working with the likes of Ford and CBS and Volkswagen and um, New York Stock Exchange and all these amazing companies. Again, not necessarily because I was good at what I did. It's because people knew me. And so the right people that knew me said, hey, you should talk to this V over there at the right yeah. at the right time. And I saw that. I'm like, oh, well, I, it was a point where I stood back and, and again, looked in the rearview mirror. I'm like, wow, I'm not doing any marketing. I'm not doing any networking. I'm not doing any business development. But my relationships are driving things to me. And so I saw this was so this so such a powerful asset I had happened to build almost by accident. So I knew that this was going to be a, a staying power for me in my in my life. Um, at the same time, I also knew because I wasn't. I didn't try to be good at it. I wasn't good at it. And that was where the idea for Kentucky came about. Whereas, you know, if I'm not built as someone who naturally will nurture relationships, will build their sphere of influence, um, maybe technology can aid in that effort. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it really has. I mean, I, I when I was on your show, I talked a little bit about how I've used the tool because I think initially people think it's it's for... Like you, when you think about a CRM, you know, you're, it's your, about your contacts. You think about your closest contacts. And really, I found it to be just as effective for my weakest connections. The, the, not, not my most weak, but like those sort of third tier out, the people that you like meet at a conference or a networking event and like you, you enjoyed chatting and there might be something there. Or sometimes, you know, this happens a lot, actually. I get an email and let's say you're introducing me to someone. And I'll reply right away and say, that's fantastic. We should totally connect. But if I don't track that and they don't hit reply and connect, then that just kind of wanders off. And I I felt like over the last few years, that was what was happening. So then I changed my philosophy of how I used contactually. I built buckets. And now whenever one of those conversations happens, I send it as a note also to my VA, who I have a little meeting request, and she plugs it in. And like adds a little note about what the context is, puts it in my third tier. And then I review that every couple of weeks and I make sure I follow up and I'm closing not sales, but those kinds of connections. And some of those then become incredibly fruitful. And then the other ones, I just, I let go, but I let go with a clean conscious. Like, yeah, I'm like, I mean, that's fine. Like you know, the whole idea of like, you know, strong contacts versus weak links, right? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that's one of the things we're thankful to have uh, built at Contactually is um, we built a flexible enough platform that people can construct their sphere of influence however they want. Exactly. Right? You know, if you're Michael Poor and you read Book Yourself Solid and you really like, you know, I want my list of 20 in my top 90 and that's it. Great. If you're a real estate agent and you want, you know, your, you know, your buyer leads, your seller leads, your past clients, your referral port partners, and you want to stay in touch with them ever so way, great. Then you can also have, you know, you know, your A's, B's, and C's, where your C's are your weak links that you keep sure. in touch with every six months, having no idea who they really are, but like they seem kind of interesting. So maybe you like I'll reach out to them to kind of see what happens, right? Um, you know, you can uh, and so that's one of the cool things that we have is that every one of our you know, users um, sets up their contactually in a slightly different way, which is uh, obviously a 
huge development challenge, but uh, you know, it's a fun, exciting uh, thing to see on the on the back end. So, what has been most challenging as you went from you know day job to consulting to being an entrepreneur? You know, clearly there were certain skills you had, certain skills you needed to acquire, or a team you had to build. Like, what was the sticking point that you were like, I really need to bring in other people because this is not my forte. I, I need I need help on this point. Yeah. Well, luckily from there early on, I um I had made a couple attempts at starting uh, a company before and they kind of failed at like the prototype stage. And I think I realized it was um I wasn't committed enough to it. Mm. Um part of the way of committing to it is by building a team around it. And so very early on, I brought two amazing co-founders, um, another technical guy who to work alongside me. And then I knew, at least at the time, I had in a, I had the impression that I had was not good at sales or business development, and that was not going to be my world. You know, I was either going to build the product or sell the product, and I was very much in building the product. And so I brought on a third co-founder who's still today our COO. Um, and so that was important. And then the last thing that we did, um, is, um, I knew that, um, I had to burn the boats. Mm. Um, so as soon as we saw that there was a, there, there I can actually, um, we said, all right, this can't just be a side project for three of us. We're all quitting our jobs. I've shut down my consulting firm, you know, overnight, um, and said, all right, we now have no choice, but to make it actually yeah. work and to focus on this full time. Um, so I, um, I love people with side hustles and totally respect them and everything like that, but, um, there's gotta be a burn the boats moment. Um, and that's a very important thing. My, uh, my friend and mentor, Dory Clark said to me, there's a time when your job gets in the way of your business and that's when you'll know. And it's like, right. Like there's this point where you're just, you know, I was taking, I had five weeks vacation and I was using like three and a half weeks vacation to go do speaking gigs. (laughs) <laughs> throughout the year, you know, like I had to like, you know, head off to the West coast for three days <laughs> and yeah. um, that, you know, that was my side hustle. And so at some point you're like, Oh yeah, I have to really explore what this could look like on my own without those constraints. That's fantastic. I'm curious, like what would be some, uh, what are some buckets that you're using that are, so people should know who are listening that everybody who's in your, in this system gets assigned to a different bucket and every bucket has a timer on it. So if let's say you're, your uh, current clients you want to talk to every two weeks and your prospects every month, you would just literally set 14 days for one and 30 days for the other. And then they show up in your dashboard whenever you haven't done that. And it connects, um, it syncs with your email and with your cell phone. So that's the way you don't have to manually enter every interaction, although you can add, because I do a lot of Facebook messaging. So I end up adding those kind of things in manually. Um, so that's my 99% happy. My 1% would be Facebook messaging. I <laughs> um, uh, believe me, uh, <laughs> Facebook in 2014 shut down their platform. Yeah. We, we used to track every Facebook message in a wall post. Nah. That was a magical time. But unfortunately, Man. I didn't put that, that down. But believe me. So what, is, what are some of the buckets that you're using that maybe people wouldn't think to, to have in their own? Yeah, absolutely. So I think buckets... Um, you know, the purpose of buckets, and this is one of the core things that we try and espouse, is that um, I think, you know, humans, you know, we naturally try and bring order to the chaos. And so we try and organize our relationships. And so for us, you know, we say, like, you shouldn't really organize because organization doesn't achieve a goal. Um, instead, it's identifying what goals you want out of your sphere of influence and prioritizing around that. So for me, uh, the way I 
I prioritize my relationships and honestly reprioritize them regularly about um, you know once a quarter or so based on the goals I have for the time. So for me, you know, my um, you know my general goals as CEO is to build an amazing team, um, nurture relationships with our um, current customers, and nurture relationships with people who will introduce us to prospective customers. And so for that, you know, my my main buckets are top hires. So I stay in touch with mm-hmm. about once every three months. You know, I've hired people out of there that I've been in touch with for two or three years before they finally um, join us. Um, I am nurturing relationships with executives at um, most of our major customers. And then for us, you know, because we are, you know, we not only are, no, not only are we relationship-driven sellers, but our, you know, our industry, the industries we're in, like for example, real estate, are also driven by relationships. I nurture a lot of key relationships there. Um, other things I do, you know, I also believe that people should just have catch-alls. So I have my legends A, B, and C, which are just catch-alls for just generally like interesting and important people that may not fit any priority I have right now. But they're just you know, leveled by just general importance that I think they have to me or to goals I may achieve at some point in my career. Mm-hmm. And then because you are reviewing quarterly, they're not going to get lost completely, which is, which is what often happens. Those sort of interesting people that you don't have a purpose like for staying in touch. Like that's, you're able to sort of review. Even honestly, I always tell people, as much as I love um, contextually, any, any system like, like I tell people they could use index cards, but I think people often have zero system when it comes to who they want to stay in touch with, what are their goals around staying in touch. And so they don't do it. And they also don't have a practice. So do you have a practice or habit around staying in touch with these like looser connections? Like, you know, whether it's a daily thing you do or something you do when you're traveling, like what are the ways you, you make sure you're sustained? These kinds of yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I um, you're right. I mean, I think the the best CRM is the one you use, and I don't care how great a tool it cool can capture or even our competitors may be. It's worthless if you don't actually use it, right? <laughs> and so, for me, you know, I do try and use it every day. So, um, you know, contactually, you send a push contactually, you get a push notification on your phone every morning at around 8 or 9 a.m. saying, hey, here are the people you should follow up with. I try and, you know, at least message one or two people from there. Um, so I do do that. Um, so there are the extrinsic motivators. Like, so for example, yeah, the triggers like, hey, I got a push notification. I should go follow up with them. Um, then there are like intrinsic motivators. Like, so for example, I might be reading an article or listen to a podcast, you know, when you interview Jordan, right? You know, I'm able to say, Hey, Jordan, you know, I heard you, I heard Robbie interview. Great work. Right. Um, so, you know, I try and look for opportunities to engage with people I care about. Um, and then obviously periodically, you know, I'll do, um, scale mail blast where I'll like, you know, message, you know, a hundred people and say, Hey, by the way, I, you know, I have a weekly newsletter now. Right. Um, so I do look for those different things, but, Building consistency is very hard. And so right now I make sure, if nothing else, I try and do it every day, but I actually have an hour block on Wednesday called my hour of power. Um, that's my time to really be focusing on proactively engaging with people in my sphere of influence. Th- that scheduled hour is so key. And um, I need to actually adopt that because I, I do this in such like haphazard snatches of time. 
like you said, like when I think of when something happens, I like try to act on it in that moment, but I could also just note it and then have the hour to actually take the actions. And I'd probably end up doing way more by doing that. So people listening, like take note of the fact that, you know, just by scheduling, you'll be more purposeful about what you do in that hour. I, I, you know, er, going earlier, you were talking about being an introvert. So I wonder if like other in-person strategies are part of your like toolbox as well. Like, you know, hosting dinners or salons or like, I don't know, uh, like hackathons. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I would say I've experimented a lot with that, you know, once, so I try and host like small events and to be honest, um, you know, I full respect for Derek Coburn and Jason Gaynard and Dory Clark and others who, you know, have been incredibly successful at hosting dinners like Chris right. Shembra of the 747 Club. Um, I have not been able to um, or have not been able to kind of bridge over the hump where I'm doing it regularly. Um, I'd much rather yeah. attend other people's, you know, and, you know, and be a participant in that. Um, I do run the DC Tech Meetup, which is one of the largest tech meetups in the country. Um, that has now kind of transcended where like it's well beyond, it's much bigger than me. So like I'm, my name isn't necessarily as connected. I don't consider that like a networking event for me or an event where I'm going to walk away with new connections. Maybe more people know about me, Mm -hmm. but they won't know me. Um, for me, I'm, I'm much better one-on-one, right? You know, talking on zoom, meeting in person, or going to networking events and pairing off with someone and just kind of, you know, and building a deeper relationship. I'm much better at that because um, I love to understand people. I love to ask questions. I love to understand, you know, you're a lawyer. Mm. Why are you a lawyer, right? You know, what made you do that? You know, what interests you about your job? What's your biggest challenge? Um, you know, what's, what's your goal for the next year? You know, I want to do that. Um, I love dinners. I host them. I, I host them often, but for me, my where I feel like I'm building the best relationships is in so, a one-on-one. Um, one of the things Jordan and I talked about, Jordan Harbinger from the Jordan Harbinger Show, um, we talked about how he sometimes does things like the escape room, as instead of like dinner, he just invites you know five other people to join him in an escape room or for miniature golf. I I thought it was awesome because the, you know. Like yeah. at conferences, like at conferences, I'll do like, you know, at conferences, it makes sense to do mm-hmm. like a dinner or something like that often because everyone yeah. eats a dinner and they're all kind of, you know, usually coming from out of town. So like they're either, you know, having dinner with a group of people or they're right. sitting at a bar by themselves. So yeah, to organize that. But yeah, like in DC, like for example, um, one thing I've done a few times is I've done Ooh. like hot sauce tastings. Um, uh-huh. I really love hot sauce. And so um, yo, I know like Saul Orwell, like, yo, he does like yep. cookie, cookie contests and things like that. I, I find like, yo, I love hot sauce. So being able to challenge myself and others, you know, to like do progressively hotter and hotter hot sauces, that's a fun experiment. Obviously that does also exclude a lot of people who'd be like, no, no, I don't like spicy food. All right, fine. Um, you're probably not going to be my friend. It's <laughs> a good screening tactic. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, but I'm definitely, you know, I think, yeah, there's, um, there is definitely value, um, for, um, there is definitely an incredible amount of value in like doing dinners and things like that. But just like other, other aspects of relationship marketing, think about how you can not just be different, but weave Mm -hmm. in your own personality and who you are and things you would like to be doing, you know? And so I've been to many, many terrible dinners at, boring stodgy restaurants where you walk in and five minutes later you're like oh i don't want to be here and 
you kind of try and find an excuse to get mm-hmm. out four hours later. Um, uh, but you know, I, so I look for those fun, exciting events. And yeah, also absolutely. About the people that you bring so how do you think about the idea of diversity within your network? Like, is it something you've given much thought to? Is it happening by happenstance or do you have any kind of sort of thoughtful, you know, forward thinking process to make sure that you're not just surrounded by people who share similar, you know, education and all the other demographics, right? Like, or aptitudes or interests, like how do you make sure there's like a well-rounded network around you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, um, I think it's going back to that prioritization, right? So it's not just, you know, I'm not just prioritizing my relationships by just who I'm surrounded by because yeah, like, you know, there would be a lot of homogenous attitudes. Like it'd be all like, you know, startup CEOs in the DC area, whoop-de-doo, right? You know, um, I prioritize my relationships based on the goals I have. And thankfully, I've luckily seen that has led to a lot of diversity because, you know, not only are they very different pools of people in terms of who I'm engaging with, but they naturally, by focusing just on, you know, potential value or potential value that I'm able to provide in some way. Um, they, they come mm. from all different walks of life, um, which is, uh, so you know, earlier you're cool. saying that you're lucky that that's happening. Like what, why do you think it's beneficial then to have a diverse network in that way? I mean, diversity of thought, diversity of thought, um, is incredibly important. Um, not just for my network, but even for the company, right. You know, we're thankful to have uh, cultivated a pretty diverse workforce. Um, yeah, could there is there an opportunity to improve? Absolutely, are we investing in it? Absolutely. Um, but I think you know having a diverse network and having diversity of thought has definitely led to a lot of really cool things. Because you know I don't want again you know I don't want to deal with like you know startup CEOs that are all around the same size as me, they say the same size as can actually going through the exact same problems. I want to deal with people who are like just starting out, but they're starting out fresh and they have fresh new ideas and thinking. And then I want to deal with people who, you know, I, I, um, I had lunch with a woman who's been running an incredibly you know, huge SaaS corporation wow. for 30 years and, you know, could give me very different opinions about life you know um i i yeah. love and i thrive no, it sounds like you're getting a lot of innovation from those those edges of your 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 network and that you've really um you've managed to to build quite an interesting group of people and you also have a tool that helps you keep track of everybody in a way that other people might not have so that's really cool um so if we were to to check in again a year from now and uh we were celebrating all of the amazing accomplishments that you've had in the previous year, what are we going to be celebrating? I love I love that question. Um, for me, you know, I think listen, I- I'm incredibly thankful for Contactually. Um, I think you know, we're in this point where we're transitioning from survival to stability, and I I hope that we can tra- um, go from stability to success, and this success to significance. Um, to quote Zig Ziglar. Um, so I think, you know, we've, my mindset has been for far too long has still, even though we're at the size we are now, I still have this survival mentality when I come in every day, like, how do I make sure Kataxi is still alive next month kind of thing? 
um, even though we've been alive next wow. month for seven years now. Um, so I really want to make sure that we're building this confidence, this survival or this, this stability mentality. So then we can say, hey, Contax is not going anywhere. Now, can we really focus on the success? Can we really focus on the big, big bets that will really mm-hmm. blow the doors out? Um, to me, that's uh, that's that is awesome and really there. exciting, and I can't wait to talk to you about it. We'll definitely have to check in on and have that. Um, what is the best way for people to find you and follow your work? Well, as we were talking about before uh, we pressed record, uh, you search for ZV Band. That's Z V I last name band like rock band. There aren't too <laughs> many of us. I'm pretty sure there's only one. Um, so zviacontact.com at Skivas on Twitter. Um, I'm always happy to help people. You know, our mission at Contactually is we believe the best businesses are built upon personal and authentic relationships. So whatever we can do to help achieve that, you know, that vision for you, um, we're always happy to help. That's fantastic. I am so glad you're able to join us today. Thanks, V. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that interview with V. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 103. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with V, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.